Welcome to the Inquisitive Tourist. My name is Nate Ralph and thank you for joining me. For those of you already listening, welcome back. And if you've just started, welcome to an ever-growing community of listeners. We're now in 56 countries. Well, today's guest is a travel connoisseur in almost every sense of the word. He started at a very young age and has been to in excess of 60 countries. He's married to a travel consultant and he worked for Groupon reviewing travel trends and building bespoke holiday packages. A true expert in the field of travel who specialised in building domestic staycation travel packages within the UK. His name is Brendan O'Neill. Brendan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for that great introduction. Uh, Thanks for having me on today. I'm really excited to be here today with you. Thank you for making uh, the time to come on. I know that you're a family man. You're very busy, so I really do appreciate this. Now, you're coming from Poland today, um, I think in the north of the country. So how did you end up there and which city are you in? So I'm living in Olsten right now, uh, which is in uh, Avamia, Missouri, which is uh, a lake district sort of in Poland. Mm. I, how did I come up here? You know, it's, it's a funny question. Um, I moved to Poland last year at the end of summer, so in September. And I was, I remember one day I was walking around Warsaw. Initially, we moved to Warsaw, my wife and I. Uh, I was walking around Warsaw and I had to stop for a second and think, how did I come to end up living in Poland? <laughs> and I just wanted those one amazing moments. Um, yeah, so I moved here after I left my uh, previous job at Groupon uh, because I wanted to do a career change. So I've been studying sustainable energy remotely for the last uh, year and a half now. And I decided to move to Poland because my wife is from Poland. So it was a good opportunity for me to come here and explore her country. And it's a little bit cheaper. So it means I could spend the year and a half sort of exploring her country, not having to worry about work and uh, just, yeah, travel around Poland for a bit. Sounds absolutely beautiful. And now you've got a seven week old son, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, a new addition to the family. Uh, it's been It's been a wild seven weeks so far. And it's uh, it's really amazing. I'm just incredibly appreciative that I can be home with him for these first few weeks. Mm, it's a special time, isn't it? And it's a, it's a real privilege to be able to not have to work um, at that early stage because th- those are weeks and months that you just can't get back. So that must be uh, yeah. really beautiful for you guys. You know, you can share it with your wife and, and your little one as well. So you yeah. were um, originally from South Africa. You know, your accent, I can't place where in South Africa, but uh, you were born and raised there until what age? Yeah, so I was born in uh, Peter Marisburg, which is near Durban on the east coast of South Africa. Uh, I was born and raised there and I left when I was 21. Uh, uh, yeah, so I, I moved to London at 21, uh, mostly because like I think a lot of young people, I finished my degree uh, and I just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I decided that uh, I needed just some time to think. So I moved to London for eight months and I ended up staying for 13 years. Wow, that's uh, that's quite a bit of time. And obviously then after that, you've ended up in, in Poland directly. Yes, yeah, yeah. And life in South Africa growing up until the age of 21, I mean, obviously a lot of happy memories there. I mean, I've heard great things about it. Yeah, you know, uh, it's it's a really interesting place. Like there's a lot of history and there's a lot of difficult history. Um, you know, I remember growing up when I was quite young, I remember my parents, obviously, because I was born in uh, 85, which is uh, during the apartheid era. 
I remember when I was in primary school, my parents would go, were going to school to vote on whether or not to allow um, colored children into the school with the, with the white kids. Wow. And uh, it's, it's, it feels kind of surreal to go from that. Um, and obviously they, they voted for it and it's wonderful that we, we have those guys coming in. And I, yeah, I remember the first election. I remember Nelson Mandela driving past my school one day. Uh, but yeah, I mean, apart from the, the storied past, I think uh, it's a, it's an absolutely stunning country. You know, one of the, one of my favorite countries in the world. Uh, and where I grew up, I grew up in a city which has got like a little nature reserve in it, for example. It's called a Bisley Park. And in that reserve, you can just go walk around. Uh, and in that reserve, they've got sort of giraffe, they've got zebras and parla. I've seen wildebeest and there's a whole string of birds too. You just walk around, there's like zebras walking around near you. Mm. So it's quite, it's quite an amazing place. And, and the rest of the country is absolutely stunning. You know, multi- mountains, uh, two different oceans, beautiful beaches. Mm. Uh, Cape Town's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Yeah. Uh, no, it sounds uh, sounds paradisaic. I can see why you've gone into what you've gone into and why you've become such a traveller if you've had that as a base. Um, now, you said that you moved to London at 21. So is that sort of, did that coincide with when your love of travelling began? Yeah, I, you know, I, as a lost person, I didn't know where to go. So I moved to London um, and then I kind of looked at it. I just came to explore and I explored London for... Uh, for that, during those eight months, I did take a break. I took two weeks to travel around Europe on interrail, so taking the train pass, uh, and that was really amazing. You know, my first that was my first trip uh, outside of London. You know, the, the second country I went to was France, taking the train along through to uh, Switzerland, Bern in Switzerland, the capital, mm. and then down through Venice uh, in Italy, and then across to Croatia too. Sounds uh, beautiful. I guess oh, it was stunning. It was. Stunning. I mean, it's such a simple trip, but it's like it's the first one I did. Um, but I think what happened is I met a lot of people in my who I was working with at the time who were just traveling a lot and they were interested in saving to travel. And I just thought, let's do this. This sounds this sounds fun. You mentioned saving to to travel. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that you save for a trip by doing a clinical trial. So, what trial was that? <laughs> yeah, that, that feels like a lifetime ago. I can't uh, wait to hear the answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean. I did a big trip where I went through Asia and Africa. And then after that, I moved to Poland for a couple of months where I, I lived with my wife. Then we just started dating and we decided we wanted to, to do a summer trip together through, through Eastern Europe. Uh, but I needed to save for that. And just by chance, I met a guy who was doing clinical trials to make a bit of extra money. Mm. So I, I looked into it uh, and I found one, which was a phase two trial. So clinical trials will have multiple phases. The first phase, what they're doing is they're saying, is the safe, is the drug, is a low dose of the drug safe for humans? Mm-hmm. And those are generally very well paid and scary. I didn't want to do that. Uh, so I did a phase two trial. It was for a drug which was supposed to be like insulin. So it was a once a week injection to help uh, people with diabetes. Mm. I don't have diabetes. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, I had to, to, to get the money, um, I had to go to a hospital for six days uh, initially. So six days staying in a hospital. And then after that, going back once a week for about 10 weeks. And in the middle of that, I had to stay for another six days in my hospital too. Um, yeah. And at the end, I got a, I got a check. I think it was about 2,800 pounds, which is That's a, a great sum of money. Yeah, not bad. I was actually going to ask you, I was going to be cheeky and ask you how much, but you, you said it anyway. So yeah, it's a good amount yeah, of money. Yeah. And, and it's also uh, tax-free. So if you do that sort of uh, research, it is tax-free. So okay. I didn't, and that's up to yeah. any amount as well. 
I believe so. I believe so. I mean, you are limited to how many trials you can do a year. So the limit is, is, <laughs> yeah, your, your body would probably get ruined if you did them every week anyway, right? You'd be in hospital. <laughs> hey, we saw you last week and a week before. You'd be like a full-time <laughs> hospital person just earning money from clinical trials. Well, I mean, you, you laugh, but so there was an interesting group of people who were there with me, staying with me. And obviously good camaraderie, you know, we'd like hang out every day playing cards and things like that in hospital. Um and so, some people like that. That's what the guy. That's what the guys did. Like, a, a few number of them. They would just do a clinical trial every three months, and then they'd use the money to go traveling, or they'd use the money to buy a bike or something like that. But it would be a big part of their the day to day income. That's hilarious. Well, I suppose if you do it every, uh, I know that a lot of travelers don't need. I mean, I want to do more episodes on this, but a lot of travelers do not need a, a whole lot of money to have a great time. Uh, if you know the places to go and you have connections in the in in a destination city. Um, yeah, I mean, if you get 2,800 and you do that every few months, you could probably, I mean, there's certain travelers that could probably survive on that all, all year. Um, no, absolutely. Just, I will always say like, do your research and stay safe. I mean, most clinical trials are completely safe. Uh, but I personally prefer phase two because they've been tried on people first. Yeah. Uh, so it's phase two is about getting the dosing right. So obviously the risk reward ratio is obviously a sliding scale, isn't it? Where, where the the phase one, I suppose, pays more money because there's a higher risk. Is that how it works? And obviously, phase two, there's there's a lesser risk. Um, so they pay, they pay you well, but not as well as phase one. Yeah, right. exactly. Uh, yeah. One of the guys who uh, who was doing the trial with me, he did a phase one trial, and he said it was like some psychiatric drug. And he went and stayed in a, stayed in a hospital for, I think, three weeks. And he just says so much of it. It's just confused, and he can't really remember it very well. He said it paid really well. <laughs> So you basically get get paid money for just being confused. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah. T- technically, that that's a, the personal experience. Uh, the reality is, you're helping uh, pharmaceutical companies develop new drugs for the masses. Yeah, just get totally drugged out and get paid for it in a hospital. That is that is jokes. That's very very. Uh, <laughs> that's that's pretty ridiculous. I mean, it'd be it'd be funny if uh, some of these people wrote that on their CV as professional work experience and came to a next interview and you know, sir, what what have you been doing recently? And they had to explain that one. I'd like to see how that would go down. But um, no, that's that's pretty cool, though, that you were... I mean, it shows your love for travel that you were able to or willing to do a clinical trial to be able to fund your next trip. That's very, very cool. Now, I know also that when you do travel, you one of the things that you love to do is connect with nature uh, through traveling. So how does that look for you, Brendan? So, yeah, I mean, the, the nature connection stuff, I've, I've always kind of been doing it when I go, it's a lot of us is, is, is slowing down. So my travels will mostly be to places which are naturally beautiful. It's, I also travel to other places like big cities and, and wherever else, but when you're in nature, um, it just, it's just about slowing down. So an example is we did an interesting exercise at my university, uh, called nature connection. Mm. And what you do is when you go, go, just go somewhere quiet in nature and then just, just stop and stand there close your eyes, listen with your ears, you know, what is the quietest thing you can hear? What's the loudest thing? Just really go through all the sounds you can hear, you know, breathe the air through your nose, taste the air with your tongue, feel the direction of the wind with your skin. And then after that, open your eyes and just, just aimlessly wonder, don't have a focus and let your mind be calm and sort of walk around and just see where things are. And by doing these sort of exercises in nature, you learn to appreciate what's going on in nature a lot more. You learn to really appreciate the systems which are exist to keep us alive. 
Mm. I was actually closing, no joke, I was closing my eyes during uh, the, the time you were saying that. It was pure poetry, man. That was, that was lovely. I really, really do like that, especially the way that you said when the feel the wind on your skin or the direction of mm. the wind on your skin. That was, uh, that's amazing. That really built a beautiful word picture for, for, for our <laughs> listeners. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I the mean, nice thing is you can do that. You can do that anywhere. You can just go any park and even in London, you can go to parks and, uh, and just experience nature and connect with it that way. Mm. And I mean, would you say that, did you get this from your parents or were you just naturally always like this from a young, uh, a young boy? I guess I got a lot of this from my parents. Yeah. So when I was young, I mean, my parents were absolute hippies in the, in the seventies. Like my dad uh, did up his own van when he was living in London. And then my parents like, took the van and went, uh, went around uh, East, sorry, Europe for, for eight weeks oh, together. That's amazing. Uh, traveling in the van, like the original sort of van life couple. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they told me a really funny story. They come somewhere wild once. And then in the morning they hear this like loud sort of truck noises and they're like, what the hell is going on? And they got out the van and uh, they'd parked in the middle of like a, a military training ground. And it was like a tank coming <laughs> over the hill. Oh my goodness. So they've, they've, <laughs> so li- think, they've lived uh, life and had some mad experiences then by the sounds of it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And even today, I mean, my parents are um, getting on, but they still, they still go camping as, as often as they can. Uh, but but probably more glamping, uh, you know, a nice mattress, things like that. Mm, mm. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, when I was young, we went camping a lot. And then I went into Boy Scouts and I did a lot of camping and hiking. And I think from there, I just, yeah, I've really learned to love nature and, and be with it. And yeah, that's, from a young age, I've always had that sort of connection. Beautiful. Now, out of the 60 countries or more than 60 countries that you've been to, which is just incredible, um, some of them you've been to are, for example, India, uh, Cambodia, Thailand. Um, could you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, so I, I did all those countries. I went to all those countries in 2008. So I went traveling. I decided to go traveling for four months in 2008 from September, which like uh, in retrospect was the start of the great recession. I, did, I knew nothing about it. Of course. It. Yeah, of course it was. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, it was it was interesting because I remember I got on the plane I got on uh, jet in air jet in the I forget it's an Indian airline to to fly to Thailand and in my compartments on this plane there was probably ninety seats and six people I've never been in a more empty plane in my life mm. uh, but yeah so Thailand itself was it's a beautiful country um, lots of like nice cities nice beaches nice islands uh, and beautiful forests further north. Mm. Cambodia, I went there to go to Angkor Wat, which is just an absolutely uh, stunning place. Incredible set of temples. Um, I don't, yeah, for me, probably probably my favorite set of temples out there that I've seen. Mm. And then after that, I flew to India and I spent three weeks in India. And that was just an amazing experience. Uh, when I was in India, I had food poisoning. I had uh, I was bitten by ticks and got some sort of tick bite fever. Oh, damn. Um, That's never good. I mean, I, I had some great, I mean, I really, I was throwing up blood. That's the, the kind of range of experiences in life. There. And I still absolutely, absolutely love that. Mm. And one of the highlights is I ended up in Ahmedabad, which is in the northwest of India. Uh, and in that uh, state, there's a, there's a uh, park called the Little Ran of Kutch. And what's, what it's famous for is it's got wild asses. So why I like wild asses is the, the closest relative to zebras on the planet. So I'd gone out there to chase these wild asses in the desert. 
uh, and it was, yeah, it was amazing. I saw the, I saw the wild asses and it was actually very interesting because on the tour, we met some, uh, some prawn fishermen. So these guys were fishing for prawns in the desert and it was just, just incredible. I mean, I didn't even know you could do that. And I was drinking tea, like, uh, at least at the time they were drinking tea out of the saucer instead of the cup, drinking tea with them and joining them in their culture. Sounds amazing. So you, you chased <laughs> wild asses in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> Have you told your wife about that? <laughs> that just well, sounds... I'll try to keep that one on the down note. Well, this is it. Hopefully she won't listen to this. But I mean, what what year? I mean, that was a long time ago anyway, right? So, uh, yeah. That's... 2008, yeah. Wow. I haven't heard many people who have chased wild asses in the desert. I mean, that... Uh, sorry, that was in India. In India, yeah. Yeah. That's just, I mean, yeah. Goodness me. And how, how, how long were you doing this for? You were sleeping out in tents or something? Was this like over a period of days? Uh, yeah, so it was a it was a two night tour. So uh, I booked it with this guy, and uh, yeah, so he took us out and it was like cheap out there. And he where we slept is um, the guy had these like beds, and because it doesn't rain, he just put the beds outside and then covered them in a in a mosquito net. So I would wake up and the sun was sort of rising between my legs. It was really an incredible experience, um, and I can highly recommend trying to trying to sleep somewhere where you can just like wake up and see the sunrise coming directly at you. Mm. So, uh, just sounds life changing, uh, absolutely life changing. <laughs> what about? Um, I know on your list as well is the uh, Galapagos Islands. Um, another one, Torres del Paine. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, and the Maldives. So tell us about those as well. Yeah, I mean, I, so I travelled to the Maldives uh, years ago when I finished university. I went there with my wife because she got uh, a good deal uh to go there yeah i mean the maldives are it's just an island paradise it is it's absolutely incredible so we we went there and we stayed in um a nice four-star hotel ate great food Uh, i went snorkeling twice a day she went diving sometimes and just seeing amazing things like sharks and tortoises and uh, lots of manta rays too stingrays just it's just an incredible place it's incredibly relaxing and uh, definitely a little paradise on earth Mm, beautiful and um with the galapagos islands as well there's a lot of uh, biodiversity there isn't there yeah yeah so it's an amazing place because uh so it's a string of islands and how you travel is you need to you need to fly there you need to get a little visa and you get a stamp in your passport that says the galapagos islands uh and when when you're on these cruise ships it's quite interesting so the cruise ships will bid for routes that they can go so between the islands there and then they'll, they'll bid for times of day, things like that. And that, that's, that'll impact sort of how much you're paying to go into these cruise ships too. Because mm. sometimes you really want to be on certain islands at sunrise or sunset. Um, and then they, they really do limits. Uh, so it'll be a fixed number of ships that can go around. And the mm. ships, they know how many people go onto those islands. So they are very much so limits on the number of people allowed on an island in any one day. And at any one time too. So they're doing a good job of conserving those islands. But yeah, really amazing biodiversity. Those huge um, Darwin tortoises and yeah, just a lot of incredible life life out there, like iguanas. And oh, they've got a swimming iguana there too, which I one swam straight past me when I was snorkeling, looking no at other way. things. No way, that's amazing. It's <laughs> like meter long iguanas. So, yeah. in terms of these boats as well, like the the cost can vary quite a lot, is it, depending on... on it's essentially like a supply and demand then thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's one of those really highly sought-after destinations, and it is quite difficult to get to. So we went there because we were staying in Ecuador for a while, uh, did a trip out there. Uh, and then you've got to fly from, from Ecuador. I can't remember how long the flight is, but it's two to four hours, let's say. 
Um, yeah, so you normally fly to a main island. It's quite interesting. So if you're going to book it, you can look for, you can look at exactly the pricing, the quality of the ship in terms of the quality of the food and their facilities and the time of day when they're going. But something else you can also do is if you fly to the main island there, there are local shops which will sell um, tickets onto these cruise ships, except they'll sell really last minute tickets. And then the goal is from the cruise ships is they've already paid for their license to go around these 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 islands. Right. Yeah. If they've got empty seats. They just want to get people on. So you can get really good discounted prices if you go there. Yeah. And if you're willing, obviously, to, to be on standby, I guess, as well, to, to jump on last minute. <laughs> but uh, that's yeah. part of the fun as well sometimes. Now, oh, um, yeah. Okay, now you travelled, I want to go on to the next places, Tanzania, Malawi, Zimbabwe, and you told me that Malawi stood out. Why was that? So, I mean, Malawi stood out for a few reasons. Uh, When I was young, before I left South Africa even, I watched a travel show about these guys from South Africa who who travelled in Africa, and they went across Lake Malawi on uh, canoes. And I think that's really what got me going to want to travel is that that sort of show and that moment where I look at these guys going to Malawi I thought, wow, I, should, I really want to go to Malawi so I'd always wanted to go to Malawi uh, and when I was there there were a few things which which really stood out for me uh, the one was the the change in pace so I, I was traveling over land through Kenya and Tanzania first and in, in Tanzania especially it's it's very aggressive you know like I think the guys are very aggressive in trying to make money off, off tourists mm. and it can be very very yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone just triple charges you for stuff. Like it was very frustrating. And then I went across the border to Malawi, and uh, when I got there, I was negotiating with the guy for the, for the taxi, and the guy's like, "But everyone else has paid this price. Why should you pay less?" And I was, I just, I had this moment. I was like, "Oh my gosh, people aren't trying to rip me off here." And generally, people are just so kind and so friendly and so welcoming mm. in Malawi. Um, and yeah, so so when I was there, it was really that change in pace in terms of kindness. I then spent some time on Lake Malawi, which was just incredible, a lot of swimming and relaxing. Um, and after that, I took a, a bus down to Blantyre, I think, or Lulongwe. And during that uh, journey, someone actually um, stole my uh, my passport and bank cards. Oh, boy. One of the worst things that can happen to a traveler, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which was unlucky. I mean, I was just, I decided to sleep on the bus and they were exposed. It was very stupid. Um, but you live and learn. And I think from there, I had quite a lot of adversity in the country. So it was, it was quite tough, you know, like running out of money. It turns out you couldn't Western Union money across there because uh, it was so poor. They were worried about corruption. Uh, and I had a lucky escape for getting, for getting um, some money so I could continue my journey back home to South Africa. But during that time when I really was struggling, like I was really running out of money. Uh, and so I was staying in like the cheapest places. And then I was going into like the local market. There was this like kind of shacks in this market. And I'd go eat my breakfast there. And I'm eating like maize and uh, and bread with butter. And in the maize, there's actually like flies. There's uh, literally living flies with dying flies <laughs> stuck in my maize. Oh, man. And I'm just eating it <laughs> because it's fine. It's good food. Local people eat it. And I really like the connection with local people. Mm. Um, but yeah, but I also experienced a couple like uh, issues which i would say and the one is i had a, an ear infection which was quite bad which is caused by diving in zanzibar which is stunning by the way and i went to a doctor and he prescribed me medicine and the medicine was really expensive i don't know why it was really expensive and i realized that i had to make the decision between sort of medicine and food and oh, that's a really man. tough decision a... I, I really yeah oh. i chose food 
<laughs> Are you being serious? I'm, I'm grumpy. Yeah, yeah, I'm grumpy when I'm hungry. Right. So, so you just ignored the ear infection and chose food instead. Yeah, yeah. And it was a tough choice. And then it was it was interesting because I was taking a bus back to, again to to um, Blantyre, I think. And I was sitting next to this guy on the bus and he was buying some food for himself. You know, like, you know, when the bus is stopped, when you're traveling, like guys come over and are selling stuff through the windows. Mm. And he looks at me and said, hey, do you want something? And he just bought me, he bought me a boiled egg. And it was just so, so such an amazing amount of kindness. Like it meant so much to me. Mm. And he mm. just, you know, this guy just had, he had enough. He had, and he just gave to me and it's, yeah, that, that level of kindness, it's really touched me. And that was, um, that was so, again in, in Malawi, was it? Yeah, all in Malawi, all that I was like starving and had no money and yeah. uh, struggling. It's amazing, isn't it? How you can be places um, that in general are not as wealthy as say your home country. And yet you can sometimes, uh, as is evidenced here, you can encounter people who are so kind, maybe with the little that they have. Um, mm. and it's just such a beautiful mm. thing. And, and another thing as well is that, you know, growth through adversity always happens, doesn't it? So I, I bet after that mm. trip, you were maybe a changed person. I'm sure you felt that you grew, uh, through, you know, living through that, um, adversity there. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I definitely, I changed my appreciation for, for fellowship and the importance of, of taking care of, uh, you know, our neighbors and, and our fellow humans just really, really grew for me. Yeah. And it makes us realize that, we, you know, wherever we go, we're just, we're a worldwide family really. And we all go through yeah. the the same things. We all have essentially the same basic human needs. Um, and yeah, it's, it's nice. You know, sometimes the world can be a bit of a bad place, but you know, you're reminded sometimes through traveling, uh, and many in the travel community will will attest to this fact that you just come across you know beautiful uh, evidences of, of human kindness, um, even in countries where you you may least expect it. So that is a a really lovely story for the listeners to hear. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Um, oh, I also when I was there, I also loved playing there. They had a local game there called Bow, which is to count. Uh, I love playing games and I love competing. I'm a bit <laughs> competitive in life. Yeah, yeah. And so when I got there, I learned how to play this game. And I played a lot. I tried to play a lot, a lot, a lot just to get practice. And then I'd go up to people in like markets. Or once I got to the top of this beautiful viewpoint uh, in the Zomba Plateau, just beautiful overlooking the these valleys, stunning. And these two guys have like dug holes in the ground. They're playing bow. So obviously I challenged them to play. And like, I would actually beat quite a lot of people. Really? Um, Even though you just learned yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I studied, um, like I'm quite numerical. So... It was just one of those things. Like I learned how to play and then it was super fun because people would just get super excited and they were excited that I knew the rules and I was actually quite good and loads of people want to play. So it's just, it's, it's another one of those things where I think it's, it's, I've learned is to get into the local mindset and see what the local traditions are and how people, uh, what people do and try, try to engage in that and become part of that. It's, it's, it's so much more enriching when you do that, isn't it? When you actually integrate with the local culture and you learn, you know, things like a bit about their food, their language, their games, uh, and so on. It's, it's just so much more enriching than just sort of being the typical tourist who goes somewhere and doesn't actually integrate at all. Um, they're just yeah. in a different geographic set of coordinates and that's it. You know, they may as well be at home in many cases, but it's, uh, you're, you're clearly someone who, who integrates yourself, um, and and you grow so much as a result and that's why you have so many awesome stories to tell on this podcast it's it's very very clear um and and hopefully the the listeners who are here listening to you should hopefully be motivated to do the same you know when they go places to really integrate as much as they can you know with the people there because they'll come back uh, a different person so no thanks for relating that story as well 
Now, Brennan, you mentioned earlier um, in the podcast, you sort of said, I think it was your first trip when you took a train into France and then Switzerland, uh, and I think you said Croatia. Was that um, your Eastern Euro- European trip or was that a different trip? No, no, no. So, um, that was a different trip. I went through Eastern Europe uh, with my wife and that was after I saved it with the, the, cl- the clinical trial. Right, uh, right. Okay. And how many countries did you visit on that trip? That was 15 countries, I believe, in something like 45 days. Wow. So one country every three days. That's incredible. It was a bit, it's a bit quick. Yeah. It was a bit quick. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, there's some of them we really just hopped in and out of. Um, you know, we spent a day in, um, I can't remember the name now. Gosh, give me a second. It used to be part of uh, Serbia. So we spent a day in Kosovo. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Serbia so and Montenegro uh, was, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget the year it was, it, it changed from the, was it a republic or something? Yeah. So, I mean, it used to, Kosovo used to be part of Serbia and we went a few months after um, Kosovo became a country. Right, right. Yeah, so I need to get my facts uh, straight on that, but I know it has changed. So, right. And did you like it there? You had a good time? Yeah, beautiful. I wish we had a little more time. Like we were quite nervous because because it just become a country. We were just nervous about staying there. Well, what is it going to be like? Is it going to be safe? Because I don't think Serbia was so happy with it. Um, so yeah, we wish we spent a little more time and actually explored the mountains because I think it is a, a really beautiful mountainous country yeah uh, and in generally in eastern europe there's really beautiful mountain ranges and a lot more forests and there's, there's some really nice stuff going on yeah i suppose that's true though going to a country that's just become a country you would naturally worry about you know p- potential political upheaval and you know how is law enforcement and traffic enforcement what's going on because yeah i mean in, in in the weeks following that you just don't know what could happen right it could be a very sort of yeah. volatile situation yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so we thought it'd be a better to play it a bit safe, but still wanted to go through there. Absolutely. No, it's uh, it's interesting though. You said fifteen countries in forty five days. It reminds me of a trip I did where I I did interrailing as well, but it was only over a, a period of a month. I think I was about eighteen at the time, and uh, yeah, I went backpacking with a couple of friends through Europe. And I, mm. I think we visited. I'd have to look back at photographs, but it was something like twelve or thirteen countries. And possibly like 30 cities, 30 or maybe 40 cities, you know, major cities, but in a month. So it's, it's kind of mental, right? And uh, yeah, we were like sleeping on night trains to Budapest in, in Hungary. And it, it was just, it was some, well, looking back, it was some wild experiences, you know. Um, I, none of us really knew what was going on. Um, I remember sleeping on a night train to Budapest and uh, these, uh, I don't know what they were doing, but guys on the train working there evidently were just bashing on your door at like three in the morning. I'm not exaggerating. Just sort of saying in a thick Hungarian accent, you know, like, ticket passport, ticket passport, you know. And, and we were like, what is, you know, you're in your deep sleep and you're like, what the heck is going on? Like, can't you wait until seven in the morning or something like a humane time? But, uh, and then, you know, you're, you're suddenly walking around Budapest and, and then we ended up in, you know, before that, we were like in, in Florence, Firenze, in Italy, and we didn't have anywhere to stay. And then this random ex-mafia police guy, oh, come and stay at my house. You can you can stay in my daughter's room. She's not here, and she was a model. And and we were like, what? This this is weird. Like, what's going on? You know. And it turned out to be a lovely family. Um, and his daughter was on the front of some kind of big fashion magazine. He wasn't even making it up, and he was just this really hospitable oh. guy. Obviously, we we you know gave him something for it, and they had this guest book that people had signed, but. Yeah, you have amazing experiences when you interrail and go on the train through Europe. And uh, it's, it's, it's nice that, you know, you focused on, on Eastern Europe as well. 
uh, and you were able to do it with your wife. I mean, that's a that's a really cool thing. Um, yeah, must yeah, have yeah. brought you closer as well. Oh yeah, I mean we, that was the start of our relationship too. So that was the first kind of year we were just dating at the time. Mm. Uh, but yeah, some some really like tough moments in there. Like we did some hitchhiking around the, around the place too. We did some like night buses in Turkey, for example, mm. which uh, I don't sleep on. So I think we spent eight nights in Turkey, and four of them were on night buses. I came out of that a zombie. I, I bet. Were you out of interest? Were you not sleeping on them because of what happened to you in uh, in Africa when you were falling asleep? On you know that's when obviously you lost your bank cards and your wallet and stuff and your passport. Is that is that why? Uh, no, it's because I'm I'm tall and it's uncomfortable. To oh right. Oh right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I really just can't get comfortable. Oh okay. Uh, okay. All right. That's how tall are you? I'm six foot tall. Okay. Yeah. 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 So and maybe parts of these. Uh, Sounds funny thing to say, but actually, depending on the country you're you're in, if you go to like some of the Mediterranean com- uh, countries where, on average, they're a little bit shorter, it does actually come into play. You know, you can sometimes uh, tell, you know, where you are. Hang on a second, maybe this country was built for sort of shorter people, or this was built for taller people, or for bigger people. You know, but uh, yeah, I think I think also like um, bad badly designed buses and things like that can end up there. You know, ones where there's like not enough leg room. So like the the Western European countries, just like there you go eastern europe or there you go africa he has this like tiny bus you know with it's like just no leg room yeah yeah um, oh no interesting stuff we were speaking about a little bit about your wife as well so uh out of interest what area of uh of travel consultancy does she specialize in so my wife specializes in tailor-made holidays so usually it would be holidays outside of uh europe and it would be putting together packages which are difficult to put together yourself for clients so obviously the travel agency sells book or standardized uh, tours but sometimes clients want to put together different different things they want to have a, a tailor-made tour for themselves wow uh, and, and she would do that that's pretty cool and how many years has she been in that industry she did it for i think seven or eight years something like that for quite a while yeah that's really really cool so you've obviously got a a great foundation of, of similar <laughs> interests and similar professions. So that's a, that's a great basis for, for any friendship or relationship as well. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, that's, it's amazing. And it's just incredible knowledge. So she would have such good knowledge and training from, uh, from her company. And then between us, you know, I had pretty good knowledge in the UK and Europe and she had great knowledge for the rest of the world. So mm. it works out incredibly well yeah, think, man. between us. What a good team. What a good team out of interest as well. How did your, um, you were mentioning about uh, emissions via traveling when we had an informal chat a while ago. How, you said you were quite passionate about reducing emissions uh, in, in relation to travel. How, how, how are you, um, how would you go about that? Or how do you think we all should go about doing that? So, yeah. So, I mean, personalized emissions is, is obviously something to consider for all of us uh, as we try and go to a, a carbon neutral world. So for me, I started reducing my emissions traveling when I, I was looking at the travels my wife and I were doing every year and we would do two or three long haul flights a year and also some sort of localized flights too. And I just thought this is, this is just too much. Um, mm. So what I started doing is I would spend a week of my holidays every year in the UK and then gradually started trying to, to reduce the number of short haul flights and, and limit the number of long haul flights. So instead of doing, you know, a, a week in the U S and then, you know, a week somewhere else doing, spending two weeks, spending longer. So you have less emissions from the flights, but you can still spend a long time somewhere. 
so th- th- those are the bits and pieces that I was doing. Uh, I-, I wish I got to the point where I was taking, you know, a train from from Europe, uh, from London to Europe, which is obviously possible. Hmm. Uh, but it, and it, I think it's really interesting. I've got a, f- a friend of mine does that. He'll he won't fly, so he takes a train from from York to go skiing, from Leeds, sorry, to go skiing, which is incredible. Wow, so it's like quite a long train journey. Yeah, yeah. But it's 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 a nice journey, you know. So it's a beautiful train ride and. And it's a lot nicer traveling on a train. Mm. And if you look at Europe's plans at the moment, there are, there are big agreements between the different rail companies in the European countries. And the plan is to have long overnight trips. So things like, I think you can go from like Amsterdam all the way down to sort of Budapest on an overnight sleeper train. Mm, mm. Um, and there's, so there's, a, there's big plans for that too. And that that's driven by, you know, reducing our emissions from traveling. Yeah, I, I believe the... The carbon emissions per passenger kilometer is is significantly less, isn't it, on a on a sleeper train than obviously on a plane? Um, I don't know what what the grams of CO two per kilometer would be, but obviously, yeah, it, it it must be significantly less. And and if everyone sort of got onto the trains, it would it would reduce even further, right? Because you'd be dividing by a high number of passengers. So um, that's really principled, though. It shows you know that some people are, are genuinely passionate about you know, through their choices, because it's easy, isn't it, to think, oh, well, I'm just an individual. It doesn't really matter what I do. But if everyone thought like that, um, <laughs> clearly it would all add up. Um, I guess it's the same if, you know, we're all in our respective cities. If you just started littering, uh, you know, took little wrappers and sweet wrappers or wrappers of whatever it is you're eating and just chucked them on the floor and thought, well, you know, it's, it's a big city. It's not going to make a difference. It wouldn't if it was just you, but obviously if everyone had the same uh, idea as you, then within a few short weeks, the whole city would be filled with litter, right? So I suppose it's the same, mm. it's the same principle. Um, we can all collectively, uh, through our decisions, uh, help, you know, with the environment. Um, and it is obviously a concern. Um, but uh, no, I appreciate the fact that you're, you're passionate about doing that despite loving travel. Um, now that sort of uh, cascades nicely into into the next part, which obviously you're an expert in in staycation travel because you worked for Groupon, didn't you, for quite a few years back in the day? Yeah, so I worked for Groupon for eight and a half years. Right. Uh, for for much of that time, my job was uh, working within travel, so I was working as uh, various uh, guises of revenue management, uh, and then what my goal was was to understand the demand from customers. So that's trying to understand where people are going, when people are going to, uh, to make sure that we have that sort of supply on the site. And the second part is to try and generate demand through sort of pricing and packaging. Mm. So that's what I'm talking about is saying like, you know, people don't really want to travel midweek as much as they want to go weekend. But if you can get a, a good enough price points in there or something unique in a package, that really works well for both the customer and the business too. So that's that that was what I was doing for, for the majority of my time is, is looking at the UK map and traveling around and looking at reviews and working out, looking at numbers too, obviously. Uh, working out where people are going, working out where people want to go uh, and building packages to make sure that, that it all works out for them. That's amazing. And it was obviously based on your own experiences as well, wasn't it? So you you've probably explored... I mean, what, 15, 16, maybe even almost all of the national parks in the UK? Yeah, I have been to every national park in the UK. Wow. Uh, every single last, one? Every single one, yeah, yeah. So last year I got the, I finally went to the, the one which is um, 
the hardest one I found to get to, which is Northumberland National Park. And that's just because I live in London and it's, it's just really difficult to get there from London. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Okay, okay. Some of them multiple times too. I, it's, yeah. And which which were your top picks, uh, Brendan? And why? If I could ask that as well. Ooh. Uh, so I think the the number one is obviously the Lake District. It is really a, a an amazing national park. It is really world beating. And having traveled to to many places around the world, I think the Lake District is really really up there. I'm a huge fan of the Pembrokeshire Coast National Park. Mm-hmm. And probably uh, bizarrely, I'm a big fan of Exmoor too. Exmoor National Park. Um, again, because they've got wild ponies there. Have they really? Uh, and it's wild yeah, ponies. Yeah, yeah, and Exmoor. Goodness me, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're wandering around there, and it's it's a nice coast. It's a it's a quieter national park too. Uh, so yeah. I mean, they're all they're all every, almost. I think every national park in the UK is, is beautiful and has its own unique features, uh, and I, I, I love them all. And also, the AONBs are, are, are amazing in the UK too. Mm-hmm. AONB. So, what remind us what that stands for? Area of natural beauty. Area of natural beauty. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Now, okay, so the Lake District, that's quite interesting because obviously most people here in the UK um, know that it's a, you know, it's a place of natural beauty. But the fact that you said out of, you know, you've clearly been to many places in the world and you're still saying it's up there, like even on a, on a worldwide scale, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it, it is a really beautiful park. And I think in the right weather, I've been there in winter too over Christmas uh, and I was probably one of my one of my most stunning times there uh just because it was frosty it was just beautiful and cold and you really get a good sense of um of the sort of magnitude of the the mountains there yeah so okay so let's say we're listening to this and it could be that we're based in the uk or obviously further afield but we're itching to get away so you've worked for groupon could you tell us a little bit about how you at groupon would price you know um the hotels or the getaway packages for weekend versus weekday pricing, like some kind of, some kind of a cheat sheet as uh, so to speak for, for the listeners. Sure. Uh, so there's, there's a few things to, to consider when doing this. Uh, from my experience, the first thing you should really start with is why, why are you wanting to go somewhere and what do you want to do there? Uh, from there, you can you can work out the rest. So, for example, maybe you want to do a beach break with your family. Uh, maybe you want to go to Cadbury World and then you want to have a hotel which is nearby. Uh, maybe you want to do a city trip or maybe you want to explore more, more of the national parks. Uh, it's, yeah, it's up to you. So in terms of pricing, so the generally hotels in cities will be full all the time, except for Sunday nights. So often you can get a really cheap price on a Sunday night, mm-hmm. which can be quite nice. So you can go stay in the hotel on, you can check in on Sunday, spend some time in the hotel, wake up Sunday morning, have a good breakfast and go to work. And that can be a really good start to your week. Uh, otherwise, midweek prices are usually softer outside of cities than the weekend prices. Uh, but some hotels, you know, they'll do corporate trade, which will be Monday to Thursday. And then Friday, Saturday is normally the, uh, the leisure trade overall. Mm. so uh, for the hotels yeah what, what you want to do is really look at work out what the hotel is doing like if it's a corporate hotel they could have cheaper rates on the weekend uh and otherwise they could have they, they normally have most hotels are cheaper to stay in week yeah yeah that makes sense okay that's a good bit of uh mm. 
inside information there from someone who works at, at Groupon. Now, because... Wow. <laughs> are you allowed to say if, that? If I can suggest... <laughs> uh, this is just common knowledge. Yeah? This is not... <laughs> This is the, this is the, not not talking specifically about group or anything, but it's okay, talking okay. generally to uh, for hotel pricing. Uh, I hope I hope I'm allowed to say that. So I'll see if I get a letter in the mail. <laughs> um, yeah. The other, the other thing I would say with traveling is really consider your seasons. Yes. So for me, yeah. I've traveled a lot around the UK, mm. um, and I, I almost never traveled in summer because the summer is really busy. And living in London, London's actually quite nice in the summer. It, it is. gets pretty warm. It is. Yeah. yeah, I tell, I, I say that to people. Hey, people worldwide, did you hear that? London can be beautiful even in the summer because <laughs> it gets a bad rep, doesn't it? But no, I agree. It can be a nice place for for several months of the year. Uh, yeah, stunning. You know, you can drink beers along the river. There's lots of parks. It's normally quieter too because a lot of people are taking their families out and people are taking time off work. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's 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 a really nice city in summer. Uh, so myself, like I, I wouldn't normally travel in summer because also the prices are highest wherever mm. you're going in mm. summer. Mm. Uh, and then I will normally travel in the shoulder seasons. So like low season is, is sort of winter right now, especially in January, February, most hotels aren't busy outside of Valentine's Day. Uh, but yeah, the shoulder seasons, so like the springs and the autumns, that's when I like to travel a lot myself because you can get good weather. The weather could be bad too. Uh, but it's normally much quieter too. So you get places to yourself, you get better rates also. Um, so in terms of the, the pricing, it's, yeah, think about traveling in the shoulder season. Good. I, and I will say this, I will say this. I think the UK is the most beautiful country in the world in spring. It's unbelievable. Wow, man. Did, did you hear that, people? The most beautiful country in the world in spring. Really, even compared to South Africa. Like for real. You, yeah, you feel that way. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, for real, for real. I mean, the UK spring, it's it is nice. lasts for so long. Mm. For, yeah, because it starts at the end of February and you just have, you know, you've got the bluebells coming in, you have the birds coming back, so you can really hear the song and you really see the life coming back to coming back to the countryside. You see mm. pheasants. It's honestly, it's, it's probably two months of really, really stunning weather and it gets warmer. And it, it, it's just a beautiful country mm. um, and a beautiful place to be in spring. Yeah, you've you've perked up my mood because we're just two and a half. I mean, we're recording this in uh, early December, and so yeah, just just under three months away from that from that time. It is true, actually. The spring, uh, you know, the winter here can be very difficult. You know, the the dark day, long uh, long nights. You know, short days, very very cold, um, and so on. Very very grey days. But uh, yeah, the summer can be beautiful, and and like you said, quite rightly, the spring is is has got a beauty of its own as well. I would I would agree with that um so it's nice it's nice for people to hear that about england because <laughs> it can get a bad it can get a bad reputation but you when you were at groupon as well you spent time building um vacation packages didn't you with the sales team so yeah. could i ask you what yeah. what were the most popular and the most recommended so uh definitely the best sort of packages that customers like are ones with spa breaks or things with dinner included so that's that's really what uh what works well is, uh, you know, so it's going somewhere where you can go stay in the hotel. You can also check into the spa. Maybe you get a massage or something. Uh, that that sort of package really is something which is a treat. So a lot of people would like to treat themselves. And in terms of uh, staying with dinner, yeah, it's it's another really interesting package for people to have is, is having that moment where you've got to eat and you know, everybody's got to eat. Uh, so when you book, you can book the stay and you can also get a nice dinner. And what actually happens, there's a good piece of psychology behind this too, uh, because every time you pay for something, there's pain in doing it. 
So if you go out uh, with your, your girlfriend or with your wife, it's better for you to pay for the whole bill, each of you alternatively, than to split the bill every time. Mm. Less, less only, pain is inflicted psychologically speaking. There's only one piece of pain. And that's why when you're buying a package, uh, you can actually you pay one off uh, and there's less pain inflicted psychologically. Plus you get better savings if you do it that way. Yeah, so. yeah. And it's, I suppose like it's just less admin as well, right? Because you, you don't have to keep on bringing out your card and paying for this and paying for that. And it's just done. Um, exactly. And, exactly. I, yeah, and you I, can look forward to a good meal, a good hotel, a really nice weekend away, cheeky weekend away, cheeky midweek away. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So people listening again, that's your next idea right there. Go on to Groupon. Uh, search for some trips with an all-inclusive massage spa break. Oh man, I need that myself right now. <laughs> mm, mm. Especially in winter, it's a great time oh, to go yeah. to the spa. Like heat up a little bit, sweat out all your worries. Yeah, ready for Christmas. And around this sort of time, I know you're not a group on now, but is this? Uh, um, if someone was to go right now after listening to this podcast and go onto Groupon and try and book something, are they likely to find vacancies, or does it all get booked up for these cheeky weekends uh, away at this oh. time of year? I, I couldn't tell you what the availability looks like right now in Groupon. Um, but what I can say is it's a great place to buy gifts. So if you're looking for to buy someone a getaway or, or buy someone a treat, it is a great place to get that. It's a, it's a nicely packaged way of buying a holiday. Yeah. Now, Brennan, since COVID, um, got to speak again sometimes about this dreaded pandemic that just doesn't seem to go away. <laughs> you know, at, at the moment, it's, it's, it's Omicron, isn't it? And it's... Uh, I was cracking jokes with a couple of mates the other day saying, you know, it's going to be Optimus Prime next, you know, because it just doesn't seem to, <laughs> it just, it, they all sound like some kind of, it, it's just ridiculous. Um, but anyway, that's, that's for another story, another day. But how, how do you feel COVID has um, affected domestic travel in the UK? Um, do you feel that it's exploded even more like the demand since obviously people are, are struggling to fly to other countries um, or, or would you say it's always been as popular and, and actually extending that, I don't know if you're aware if the, tr- if, if the trend worldwide is also, um, you know, increasing for domestic travel. Yeah. I mean, starting with the UK, it definitely exploded demand over the summer. I think with, uh, with all the travel restrictions coming on and off, having to test, changing travel rules, different traffic light system, it just caused a lot of anxiety in people to book their, you know, their big summer holiday with their family. Um, and it also raised the price a lot to go abroad. So local, I mean, local demand in the UK just absolutely exploded this year. Uh, you know, I think we saw, I saw some prices going up sort of three, fourfold for sort of caravanning in, in Cornwall over the summer versus the, the previous years. Three or four so, yeah, I mean, That's 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 ridiculous. Three or four X. Yeah. So no, even yeah, though it's, it's gone up abroad, it's still gone up here as well because of the uh, the increased demand. So 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 UK travel has or staycation travel has actually increased then as well. Yeah, it's it's absolutely exploded. Mm. Um, mm. Which is so it's it's quite interesting because before, in the years before the uh, pandemic, sort of the world travel sort of buzz was talking about over tourism. Mm. So that's when you've got too many tourists going to places like Venice and Paris where they're kind of getting overwhelmed by it and it's causing damage to the infrastructure. Mm. Mm. And obviously, because uh, of the pandemic, that's not such a problem in places like Venice and Paris. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe it still is. But in the UK, it feels like they've had a lot of that um, a lot of that tourism kind of hit the infrastructure. And I think as much as I love the Lake Districts, I think they also saw quite a, quite a tough season because they had a lot of walkers coming through and a lot of people sort of degrading the natural landscape there. Yeah. And it's it's just such a difficult topic, right? It's difficult to balance out. Um, but yeah, so globally, uh, I think yeah, domestic travel absolutely boomed, and obviously that'll impact countries differently depending on 
how much space they have for tourism, how much accommodation they have, and what their local population is. Mm. Um, I know, I know, in Poland, I was in here. I was here this summer, and at the end of last and this summer, they had the record numbers for the big tourist destinations here. Like Zakopane had a record daily number of tourists there, the record monthly number of tourists in August. So it absolutely exploded. Mm. And a lot of the um, th- these visitors again are Poles staying within Poland for for domestic travel, or do they tend to? What, what's the traveling culture like there pre-pandemic and now? I mean, were they the types that would go outside of Poland or is there so much to explore within Poland that they're happy to stay within there? I mean, there's, there's a great deal to explore in Poland. I think there are 23 national parks in Poland, something like that. I've only been to about six of them so far. I'm not, I'm not doing great. I'm <laughs> not, trying. Not, not quite there, the 15 or 16 in the UK, but getting there, right? <laughs> I'm getting there. Yeah. I'm getting there. Um, but yeah, Poles actually love to travel. So there's a lot of domestic tourism. You know, people will go to the mountains. People go to the beach in summer, mountains in winter. They'll come to the area I live, which is the Lake District, the, the Missourian Lake District in, in summer too, to sail and to just be by the lakes too. Uh, so really big, big tourism here. But they also travel abroad a lot. So, um, you know, it's, it's funny because my wife and I travel, have traveled to a lot of places. And whenever we go somewhere, people people ask us where we're from. And people say, she says she's from Poland. And people are like, whatever. And I say, I'm from South Africa. And this place is light up. And they're like, wow, South Africa. Wow, so cool. So yeah. I think that gives you a flavor of how, how much Poles travel versus, um, yeah. uh, versus how far afield I think I've managed to get. Yeah. So we've obviously mentioned COVID, uh, discussed a little bit about mm. the impact of the pandemic. And, and earlier we spoke about, you know, your desire to reduce emissions uh, through travel. Mm. And obviously recently we've had COP26 where, you know, mm. world leaders are coming together to discuss how they can reduce uh, the carbon footprint on the planet. So could I ask you, Brendan, what, in your opinion, uh, is 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 the future of long-distance travel? So this is, uh, I think that this, is a, this can be a long answer um, because it's, it is very tricky to, to get this right. My, my hope is, and I think where long-distance travel will be is we should – we should still be able to travel long distance, just a little bit less frequently. So the numbers I see are something like the top 1% of people in the world are responsible for 50% of the emissions. And that's coming from, yeah, that's coming from people who fly a lot, who fly first class a lot in a year. That's coming from people who own yachts because yachts will burn something, you know, like 10,000 liters an hour or something of, of fuel. Uh, so the, the ideal would be to try and, reduce the top 1% down to the average European traveler initially. And that, that could be a really good way of going. Again, it's, um, I think it's quite, it's quite interesting because carbon footprinting came up in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, but it was really popularized by BP, who wanted us to individually calculate our carbon footprint. And part of that is shifting the responsibility onto individuals rather than uh more more the businesses who are profiting from this so i i'm i'm torn about it um mm. i think for now try explore your local area that's that's what i would say and that's mm. that's what i've been doing in poland a lot lately is uh, i live now next to a beautiful lake and a forest and i go every day and and going every day i can kind of see it changing in the seasons you mm. know when i arrived here in winter the the lake was actually frozen mm. uh, people were swimming in even in winter uh which is incredible that's crazy. Is, it must be really cold as well, like, like minus yeah. 20 or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the water's just absolutely, I mean, they'd cut a hole in the ice to swim in it because uh, it's supposed to be good for health. Uh, but it's, you know, 
by staying here, by staying in the same sort of area and going back to it every, every sort of day, every few days, you kind of see how it changes in the seasons. And it's kind of like being a tourist in my own little localized area. Mm. And I think in the UK, there's so many beautiful places, little forest parks and places just around you. You can just go and explore. And if, if you keep going back and doing your little, you know, being like a tourist in your local area, mm. that's, that, that helps a lot. You know, mm. that actually helps a lot. And generally the goal should be to, Try travel locally. Try use public transport uh, to get around if you can. Mm. Um, I mean, I hiked uh, part of the South Downs Way because I figured you can do the whole lot if you take uh, trains down. So I took a train down one day after work uh, on a Friday, I think. It was the bank holiday weekend, yeah. And then I did I hiked 10 Ks, slept, and then I hiked uh, two more days and came back uh, all on trains. And that's the kind of thing which is fairly, fairly low impact um, in terms of travel that you can do. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I suppose there's there's always going to be a place, isn't there, for long distance travel? But um, maybe governments will come up with some kind of quota, or it will be interesting to see. I mean, especially with families who are spread throughout the globe. You know, you could, I mean, for example, you <laughs> you're from South Africa, you lived in London for 13 years, and now you're in Poland. And do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Suddenly, you can have no, a family it's... that are spread across countries and continents. And and then what then? You know, can the government enforce a quota of how many trips are allowed it's going to be very interesting to see what happens i think uh, what they're doing now is they're looking at taxation for frequent flyers mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. that's i don't i don't know a good solution to this by the way i wish i did uh, but yeah so what they're looking at is saying you know as you travel more and more you'll pay an increased uh, climate tax we already pay uh, a climate tax when we fly so that, that's what they want to do is they want to ratchet that up so that the frequent flyers and what it means is the, the average the average Brits, the average person living in the UK is, is not going to be affected by that. It's mm-hmm. going to be the guys with the yachts. It's going to be the guys who are flying, yeah. you know, twice a month for business yes. or something crazy. Yeah. That's that's kind of where it's more like, especially with COVID, we've really seen that we can, we can all work on, on Zoom and we can all function on, you know, electronic meeting devices. So mm-hmm. it's, I don't know. It's going to, it's going to be interesting, yeah. isn't it? But um yeah, like you yeah. say, those people that might have a private jet and there's like, you know, the the, the amount of uh, uh, carbon emissions per passenger kilometre just go through the roof because they're not utilising, you know, uh, the, the space in the jet, are they? Uh, instead of having 100 people, there's just maybe three of them or five of them and it's it's just not, it doesn't really make much sense. So maybe some of the airlines as well can work logistically, uh, you know, in terms of filling up their planes better before actually taking off. But yeah, that's, that's a logistical nightmare for, for the uh, computer scientists and the mathematicians to, to work out a system, you know, uh, to, to maximize the return, I guess. Yeah. 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 I mean, I try not to wander into transport emissions too much. I just try to focus on myself Yeah, uh, because I think it is, it is such a difficult problem and it's so close. It's so personal. Mm, mm. Uh, And there's, there's many aspects about it, which are just very difficult to get over. Yeah. Um, but which is, which is why I say, you know, I spoke about nature connection earlier, you know, try and connect with your local nature, try to spend a little more time locally and, and really fall in love with, uh, with your country. I mean, the, the UK and England are, is a absolutely stunning place to be. Yeah. So make sure you explore it and spend your time there. No, absolutely. And thanks for all your advice as well on, you know, the national parks and, you know, obviously your experience at Groupon and, and ideas for, for 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 trips more locally, and hopefully some of the listeners, at least the ones based in the UK as well, can uh, can take advantage of that um, and and start planning some trips as well. So, where where next for you, uh, Brendan? Are you and your wife going to remain closely tied to the to the travel industry and continue to enjoy your life in Poland? 
I mean, for myself, uh, I've I've just spent the last year studying uh, sustainable energy, so I'm busy looking for jobs now. Hook me up if you work there. Uh, yeah, and uh, so I'm looking for jobs across Europe and the UK and Poland. I'm just trying to find something which uh, which I really believe in. Yeah, I think the whole industry is going to be booming, and it's it's a really interesting industry now too. Mm. Um, so it's a good time to get into it. My wife, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if she's going to stay and travel or not. So I think it depends on what I get and and what she wants to do. So she's she's quite a big photographer and she would like to sort of pursue that more, which sounds amazing. Mm. And in terms of living in Poland, I don't know. I, I really like the quality of life out here. It's, it's beautiful. It's such an amazing country. Mm. Uh, it depends on the work situation for me. Good stuff. So Brendan, where can people connect with you and, and your work? So you can connect with me if you want. Um, Nature, I think you can give them my phone number afterwards if they want. Otherwise, my wife is on Instagram. She sort of photographs everything we do. I'll be in a lot of the photos. Uh, <laughs> she's uh, <laughs> she's uh, Karina underscore photographuja. So that's the Polish word for uh, photograph. Uh, and Nate, I'll give you the spelling afterwards. Good stuff. Yeah, I don't know how that's spelled. <laughs> yeah. So if you, yeah, if you if you ping her, if you if you look at the stuff she's doing, that that's what I'm. You know, I'm doing that all with her, uh, and you you can message her and she'll you'll get through to me too. Awesome. Sorry, I'm not I'm not into social media generally. No problem at all. No, that's awesome. Well, Brendan, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, I do wish you and your wife all the very best with your new life in Poland and your little your little boy. Uh, yeah, maybe we can have you back another time to pick from the fountain of your travel knowledge because yeah it's just it's almost endless like i mean we barely scraped the the the, the mountain tops you know yeah. with uh with what we spoke about we just we were going through these countries and barely barely got into them but uh yeah thanks for being so generous with uh with your knowledge and with your your expertise thanks nate thanks for having me on uh thanks for your time to talk to me too it's been an absolute blast yeah well my guest today was brendan o'neill from the northeast of poland Hopefully, Brendan has inspired you with his fountain of experience and knowledge. Many of the listeners in the UK are definitely going to benefit from his staycation advice. And I'd like to thank uh, Brendan for taking time out to offer his expertise on domestic travel. Great ideas for all of the national parks in the UK, as well as giving his personal accounts about his own experiences through travel. So don't uh, forget as well to check the show notes where I'll leave the Instagram of his wife, Karina, and her photography where you can connect with them and their work. Well, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please do share it with a family member or friend who you think would get something out of it. And if you haven't already, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. My name is Nate Ralph, and you've been listening to The Inquisitive Tourist.